views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Honey, put this on top of the minivan. We're only going for two weeks. You want me to back the kitchen sink, too? Well, is there room? Hey, you guys, you going on vacation? Who's that? I don't know. Because we're planning on robbing your house tonight. All right, I'm calling an alarm service. Wouldn't it be great if you could be warned of life's risks? If you have diabetes, you can. There's a simple blood test called A1C that can help measure your risk of complications from diabetes. Why is it important? Because more than 600 people every day die from diabetes and its complications. If your A1C is above 7, your doctor can show you how to lower it. If you have diabetes, know your risk. Know your A1C. Ask your doctor, or for more information, go to www.diabetesa1c.org or call 1-877-TEST-A1C. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International, and the Ad Council. Good morning. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. How are you, everyone? I'm very excited this Monday morning because I have special guest Arlene Cole, who has called in to join us and we're going to also sample some of her music in just a little bit. So I want to welcome special guest, Arlene Cole. Hi, Arlene. Hi, Janine. How are you? Good. I know we were just talking about the Kings, right? Yes. <laughs> Game six, five o'clock. You're on spilkies. <laughs> you know what that is? No. <laughs> it's not like a rash or anything. It's like, <laughs> it's like when you're, you know, nervous, you're on edge. Oh, I see. Yeah. Spookies. Spilkies. Okay. <laughs> Not the spookies. Spookies. <laughs> 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 uh, so I, I met you a long time ago at the Far West Fest, and uh, I love your music, and I, I want to have you talk a little bit about your background in music, and then uh, we'll get on to all kinds of other great things oh. and sample some of your latest music. I got your CD. I love it, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tell me about how... You know, music has been a part of your life. I, I, I don't want to give it away, but how long have you been singing? I think, uh, you know, pretty much since I could talk, you know, it's been part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really in, you know, about fourth grade is when I started, you know, where I was singing in front of people. That's great. But, yeah, you know, it's just, I think I've, I've said before, you know, it's a lot of times, you know, children and, you know, people, it comes out of adversity, you know, you're... My home life wasn't that great, and so you look for other ways to express yourself and get attention. Mm-hmm. And um, I would look for anything and everything to get attention. So, <laughs> you know, I was the class clown. I was the actress. I was the singer. I was, you know, check mark, check mark, check mark, check wow. mark. Yeah. As opposed to just, you know, crawling into a shell and hibernating somewhere, you just, but it's great that you are, let yourself, you know, be free and do all these creative things. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, it got me through. So, yeah, I was lucky that way. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine getting up and singing in fourth grade, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, back then, I mean, you know, when you're a kid, I mean, ignorance is bliss. I I remember being, you know, I was probably 15 years old, and I I was living in Edmonton, Alberta, and the the drinking age in bars in Edmonton and Alberta is 18. So at 15... We're talking 1975 here. I could get away and get in the bars at 15. So I would go because I wanted to be around music and I wanted to meet musicians. And um, I met this group. um, They were, they'd all played with Ronnie Hawkins. He was um, 
called the Hawk and the, the boys from the band, and there was all these musicians from Toronto, and they were, you know, A-listers. Mm-hmm. And I was writing songs at the time, and I'd just gotten my guitar, and I literally knew two or three chords. And hmm. I was in this hotel room, and there was all these people and all these musicians, and I wanted to play this song for them. And the only pla- and I would tap with my feet, and the only place I could do it was in the bathroom because there was a floor. So I sat on the toilet mm-hmm. with my guitar <laughs> in front that. of all these musicians <laughs> and probably played the worst song in the world, right? Because it was <laughs> one of my first ones. Sure. And, but I had no idea that it might be bad or that I was bad or you know, any of those things because you're just, you know, you have no concept of right. it at that point. Sure. And same with when I was a kid. I didn't know. You know, I'm just... It was just about the attention. Well, it's good. I mean, you know, because sometimes people halt in their tracks when they when someone says, "Oh, you're you're not so good." You know, do something else. Yes. <laughs> you know, which thankfully didn't happen to me. You know, I mean, I'm very grateful. Uh, you know, I've heard afterwards, and you know, I've you know, I'm certain people who didn't think they thought, "Oh, when I first heard you, I didn't think you were that good." Nice. <laughs> when That's I was a kid. So nice. Know? But uh, that's part of the process. But no, but nobody ever said it to me. And my parents, thankfully, were so lost in their own worlds that they didn't. That was the problem. I didn't hear good or bad. Okay. So no one ever, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have that kind of problem in my life. So I'm grateful. And you're the youngest, you said, right? Yes. 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 Okay. So you're kind of off on your own. I was definitely off on my own. Yeah. I was, I was joking about was how I was raised by wolves. Because <laughs> I pretty much did what I wanted, you know. Yeah. I, I did. My, my parents, it was just kind of, kind of odd, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you think about how you managed to get through those times, but yeah. And that I didn't get in more trouble because I think, uh, you know, the, nowadays the, the sort of basis of, you know, human behavior, I mean, I, I see, I was considered a bad kid. You know, I smoked cigarettes and, and did all that kind of stuff, but I would mm-hmm. never let an adult see me. I would swear, but I would never swear in front of an adult. I see. But nowadays, kids are like, Ugh. you know, it doesn't matter where it's you awful. go. I mean, there's no concept of who's around you and that there might be small children or, right. you know, society has just kind of lost that respect for each other. I've been in a situation. I was in a pool in my neighborhood and... uh there were some teenagers, and they were swearing right in front of my kids. And my kids, this was a few years ago, and I actually said to them, you know, could you could you watch your mouth? You know? Yeah. And they were so rude to me. Yeah. Oh. You know, and and uh, you know, I didn't care. I, you know, I just think it's terrible how it's just like sneezing. You know, people are just yeah. I do too. They're just their language is lousy. You know. Yeah, especially around kids. You know, it's right. There's no gauge. Yeah. So. You have been singing since fourth grade, and when did you first get into a band? I was um, 18. All right. 18 was my first band. Now, and at 18, I had a baby. Ah. So my daughter, Brandy, was not even, or she was one. She, she would have been about, you know, about one, mm-hmm. and I started auditioning for bands, because that's all I wanted to do. But... And I wanted to go on the road. I wanted to be in a band. So I had to find a band that was willing to take a little child with them. So there was quite a few auditions in there. And then I met, it was a good friend of mine, um, Michael Gabriel in Edmonton, mm-hmm. um, who I went, we were in performing arts together in high school. I studied acting in high school. 
and he was in, he was a musician too, and he had this band going, and he said, you know, we're looking for a couple of girls. We were putting together a big Las Vegas show band. Nice. So um, I met who is now my husband, Bill, at that time. He came to my apartment and met me and uh, Brandy, and um, I auditioned for them, and they all powwowed and talked about it and Look decided that. that it would be okay to bring a child on the road. So that was my first band, and I, I hired a babysitter, and there was 10 of us on the road in a bus wow. traveling around western Canada. With a baby? With a baby. <laughs> and you were 18 or 19 at that time? 19. At the, by the time 19. we got everything together and rehearsals and formed the band, and we headed out, I think, yeah, I was 19. That's an incredible group of people to take on. Yeah. You know, well, first of all, they must have loved you, and they must have been just incredible people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're all still very close, as a matter of fact. So the whole nice. band, that we still are in contact, and, you know, we get together, visit, you know, all that kind of stuff. And your daughter pretty much grew up around the band. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she grew up with, you know, 10 adults in a bus. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she was, you know, and she was quite um, articulate, and you know, she her her vocabulary was pretty pretty big, you know, when she was <laughs> three years old. Which, of course, you know, when you're a mother, you think my child is brilliant, right? right? I think, oh, she's she's got to be something extreme about her because the way she speaks. But sure, but she's just a regular kid, like you know. Of course that is so funny. Well, yeah. and I've heard her sing. I don't know if she's just a regular kid. I would you say that her. Actually, this is my oldest one. Brandy's my oldest one. Oh. Brandy, you've, you've heard Skylar sing. Skylar, okay. But Brandy sings as well. Okay. Brandy has a beautiful voice too. She's just, she's in, she's married, has my granddaughters, and her life is a little different. Oh, okay, I've never met her. I met Skylar. Yeah. All right. So when did Brandy start showing signs of musical interest and talent? Um, Brandy was, she was actually a little more athletic as a kid. Her music, her her thing for music came later. Mm-hmm. The art, yeah, I think, you know, as you become an adult and life gets um, very um, bogged down with responsibilities and jobs, and I think we all crave and need creativity so badly in our adult lives. And I think a lot of times adults, that's when they start reaching out and they, they, they think, oh, okay, I want to, Maybe I'm going to learn how to play a guitar, or I'm going to paint, or mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's so important for our for our well being to express. And I think the theme of this show, because it is get the funk out, I think that has helped so many people I've spoken to deal with so much. I was even telling my daughter yesterday, you know, we should go take a potter class and throw clay on a wheel, and she's like, "What's that?" You know, she <laughs> hasn't done that yet. And I said, "Oh, I've got to do this with you." Yeah, great way to vent. Oh, Great yeah. creative outlet, you know. Well, we've talked, you know, yeah, it's, it's mindless. It's when you, you know, when you're concentrating that, you know, intensely on a, on a you know, like pottery, mm-hmm. you're shaping something. Your mind is free of all other problems and anxieties and, right. you know, you're really focused on that activity mm-hmm. and that concentration. I agree. I, I remember going to camp when I was younger, and that was one of my favorite things to do, was just sit and, you know, just feeling the clay and creating something. And, and so if you mess up, big deal. You start over, you know, this wobbly blob on the spinning, you know, yeah. surface. And 
it, there's no right, no wrong kind of thing, and whatever you come up with, it was, I love it. Yeah, especially when you're a kid because the expectation isn't, you know, we allow children to have, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. Hopefully. That's right. <laughs> Hopefully we're that kind of a, an adult that we allow them the freedom of making mistakes and, you know, yeah. That's right. Now, did you ever look back and say, you know, or ever think along the way, I, th- I think I'm going to switch gears because with your career, or was it always music? Well, I, I switched gears in when David came along. When I once I had two children, mm-hmm. and also when Scott or sorry Brandy started a regular school, I had to quit the road, and you know there there was a part of me that wanted to give them some stability, and there was a time in my life, and it's this is always a a touchy subject, but there was a time in my life where I thought women could do it all. We can have everything. We can have careers. We can have family. We can do it, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but the reality for me was that it wasn't quite that simple. I couldn't have it all. I felt that I needed to sort of, I needed to be there more at my, in my home so I became more of a housewife. I mean, I was I had to have part-time jobs. I started singing in weekend bands and wedding bands. Nice. And while I still had it all, the sort of the bigger dream of what I thought, you know, if you if you think in usually in those days that of success and you know um, is you know fame and fortune and all those things, that part of my thinking changed because. I wanted to make sure that there was a good foundation for my children and that they were good people, that, that there was, you know, some, they would come home for lunches and there was, you know, there was things like that that I wanted to make sure that they had. Right, right. No, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, I think so. You know, I mean, my, my kids are all very different and um, they've formulated their personalities on their own, I believe. But, um, you know, I know that socially they're, really grounded and together kids, and that's what I'm most proud of, which that, I think I've said before. That is one of the most important things. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because, you know, we have choices we can make in life. We can spend time with them, you know, and nurture them as best as we can without being helicopter parents. Right. But, but they do, I, I really think when they're younger, they need us. They need guidance. I, I do, too. I think, you know, it, it, it's difficult. I mean, and even... Even the fact that I was there, I was there all the time, a lot, mm-hmm. there most of the time. And so was my husband. I mean, Bill, we worked out, he was with them on the weekends. My kids were never in daycare or, you know, my mom and dad, my mom would help. You know, we had family around if I, if we had to go somewhere or do anything. But, you know, mostly it was either Bill or I were with the kids. And we still feel like we've messed up terribly. <laughs> you know, we're like, we didn't do enough and we should have taken them here and we should have had them in this. And, you know, you still beat yourself up. Oh, you're so funny. Yeah, it's terrible. It's not fun. That's the hardest thing about being a parent. I just, oh, gosh, the guilt. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're, they don't come with directions. <laughs> no, no, they don't. And then you, you beat yourself up because you're like, could I have handled that situation a little differently? And Yeah. You know, well, you know, this weekend, this past weekend, I just went to Vegas and uh, to see my, my grandson lives there. And my, my oldest daughter, Brandy, came as well with the other two girls. And then I have a little step-granddaughter. Um, so, you know, we're with all the kids. And my grandson doesn't know how to swim yet. He's five. Mm-hmm. He's got his little floaties. 
and I'm in the pool, and my husband reminds me that my son David took swimming lessons. Or, or I'm sorry, he taught swimming lessons. Oh. He was a lifeguard one summer. Okay. And I'm for the life of me, I'm trying to remember that my son was a lifeguard. <laughs> and then I realize that, oh, I remember because I was PO'd at him the next summer because he didn't take the same summer job. Uh-huh. So my husband said, we measure things in our disappointments, right? Like, uh-huh. I don't remember the fact that my son was a lifeguard and teaching kids how to swim. I remember he didn't do it the next year. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> so, so we had quite a laugh about um, the levels of disappointment. Was your son laughing too, I hope? Oh, yeah. Of oh, course. good. We were all laughing. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, how funny. <laughs> so I'm looking at, you sent me your bio. You have... Several accolades. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, I try to be as, you know, how everybody pumps up their uh, their uh, bios all mm-hmm. the time, but I try to be uh, true to what's happened in my life. <laughs> well, it's great. I mean, you've worked very hard at it, obviously. I mean, you were in Music Connection magazine. Yeah, that was a big, that, that was, I was pretty excited about That's that. That's huge. It, yeah, it was, it was, that was a pretty big deal. For, for someone at uh, 48 to 49 to get that, uh, I was I was I was proud of myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you ever take singing lessons? I did. Oh my gosh! Well, I studied voice at Grant McEwen College in Edmonton, mm-hmm. and then oh, I've studied with all you know different um, teachers and different methods, and I have probably a whole bookshelf filled with different style. You know, di- all the different types of teachers and methods, mm-hmm. and I also taught. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I taught for, um, gosh, probably six or seven years. That's great. Here, here in Simi, I did, and then that's when I, you know, started to go on my sol- start my solo career, and uh, then I realized that I just didn't have time to do both. Were you teaching kids and adults, or mostly yes. adults? Okay. And then I would have a big recital every year, and I'd find a place where, you know, we'd rent a spot and have a big stage, and so that they got the experience of performing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was fun, but it's very um, teaching is very stressful in its responsibility. I felt very very responsible for the things that came out of my mouth, spoken uh-huh. words that I would say. Because I had a teacher say to me once, I had a teacher who was a classically trained teacher who believed that the only way you could sing was up in your head voice, in your falsetto voice. What? Yeah because that was the only way you wouldn't damage your cords. And, of course, I was a belter and a chest. I have a you know, pretty strong alto, alto voice. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I would try to sing up there, I didn't have the support. I didn't know how to do it yet. I do now. But then I didn't. So it's very easy to go off pitch when you're trying to sing up in a high voice like that. Sure. And I had a teacher. He was actually the piano player, the accompanist. In my, he was at school, and he said, you know, said something about my pitch, like, you, you ha- don't have very good pitch. Well, for the next five years, every time I opened my mouth, I would ask everyone around me. I would go, and I'd be on a stage, and I'd go off stage. I'd be talking to musicians. Was, was that on pitch? Was that on pitch? How did oh. that sound? How did that sound? Oh, Arlene. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, neurotic oh. for five years. And I've heard so many stories about other people who a teacher said something to them not, and not just in music, you know, just, you know, I think we've, we've touched on this before, you know, how, the effects of having somebody, as, you know, somebody you look up to or respect, or, and they say something to you that's negative and what it does to you for many years afterwards. Absolutely. And so 
teaching, you're in a room with someone and you're trying to help them be better, and at the same time, you want to be encouraging and say it in the right way. Yes. And I found that very scary. Well, I heard a great piece of advice uh, a couple months ago. When you give feedback, you probably heard this, make it like an Oreo. You give something positive, then you give the constructive feedback in the middle that might be a little critical, but you don't slam them. Right. And then you wrap it up with another positive. Ah. So like an Oreo. Nice. Because nobody wants to just be criticized. No. You know, and it doesn't help you. I try to do this with my kids, too. You know, great job. Okay, but we need to work on this. You know, it doesn't really work, but (laughs) I'm doing my best here. Um, but, you know, <laughs> wrapping it up with something positive. You know? mm-hmm. so, yeah, absolutely. You know. And I would also try to teach, and I still do. I, you know, when someone asks my advice or sometimes for auditions, and my biggest thing is staying within your ability, which I believe, you know, it's, you never not want to reach for higher levels. But if you're going into an audition and you decide to sing a Celine Dion song, but you don't have any of the chops that Celine Dion has. Oh, forget it. Why would you do it? But, but yeah. so many people do. They, they think, oh, this is a good song. Oh, forget so it. I'm, you know, they'll be impressed with this song, but if you can't sing it to that level, then you've lost the audition. It's not going to happen. Absolutely. So, you know, I've taken um, some people who had very low levels of ability, and they've gotten auditions based on a song we picked or there, where they were. Well, so, look at all the shows that where they they work with. Uh, is it David Foster? Yes. And they pick a specific song geared towards them. I mean, you need a mentor. You need somebody to give you, you know, yeah, insight that you you're too subjective about, and you pick something specific. And I can I can see why that makes sense. By the way, I think they're missing a show. They got all these reality shows about the voice, and so you think you can dance and. I think they should come up with a show for people like myself who've never sung because we haven't had the nerve. So you think you can't sing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. It makes total sense. I've been thinking about it a while. So you think you can't sing. And then we prove them wrong that we get people like myself to actually sing, get up the nerve, get the talent, get a coach, you know. Uh, I love that idea because, see, I am a believer. I am Mm -hmm. a strong, strong believer and I, this is the other thing that, and most people don't, when I tell them this, they, they don't agree with me. It is a learned skill. Singing is like learning the piano. If you want to be a singer, you can become a singer. It's called practice mm-hmm. and learning, just like anything else on the planet. There are very, very few, I forget, I read once, the percentage of someone who's actually tone deaf on the planet. It's, it's like my 1% thing again. I always go 1%. All right. But it's very, very few people that are truly tone deaf. Really? Yeah. And so, you know, I think about where I've come as a singer. I mean, when I think about how the songs I sang when I was 18 and that 19, when I was in that band, we were called August. And it was a big Las Vegas show band. And the other girl, um, there was two girls in the band. And Pam, uh, she had a soprano voice, and she sang all the high parts. And I literally could sing... Uh, Maybe seven or eight notes. That was the extent of my wow. my range. Yeah, and so everything I sang, I sang all guy song. I couldn't even sing a girl song because my voice was too low. Oh, and so 
I, I remember singing. There was a band called Little River Band. Oh yeah, from Australia. And they were they were a pretty big band. Sure. And huge in Canada, and it was a song called Cool Change. And I remember somebody coming up to me on one of the breaks saying, "Oh, they." They heard that. They loved that song, and they said, which guy's singing that? And they looked up, and they saw it was me. <laughs> but now, I just did a show the other night, and, uh, or, no, so I'm sorry, I sang at uh, Unity Church. I, I sing at uh, spiritual living churches and Unity Churches, and and um, they, a couple people came up to me and said, oh, my gosh, your range, how do you do that? How do you sing that high, and then you sing so low? And So now I have, you know, I probably use three or four octaves now. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's completely changed. Look at you. But I've, like I've said, I've studied my whole life. It's been my obsession, singing mm-hmm. and becoming a better singer. And then here's the other part of it. They, they segue into, you know, the Celine Dion syndrome. I used to think if you look at the instrument or listen to an instrument or if you, you know, I think of someone like a Whitney Houston or a Celine Dion, I always thought of that as the perfect voice. That's the voice that, you know, if you're going to be a singer, you've got to sing like that. Mm-hmm. And then I came to realize that, you know, my voice is, I know my voice now. I can't sing a Celine Dion song. Don't ask me to sing one because I can't sing like her. And, but that doesn't mean I'm not a good singer. Not at all. So it's just, you know, accepting and realizing who you are and never, you know, given your, the shortcomings, you know, don't, don't stop to grow, but to... Put yourself down because you think you're supposed to be at this, you know, some part, some level, some place that you put as the, you know, the expert level or, you know, where you want to be. But it's accepting who you are and developing that. Well, I think that's also true for a lot of talents. For instance, I play guitar and I remember thinking, I want to play like, you know, be as good as, you know, Fill yeah. in the blank, and then I—I th- I remember somebody saying, "No, find your own style. You don't yeah. have to play that style because once you—you know—there's so many people that can, um, you know, be crazy on the guitar, but they're all doing the same thing. It doesn't mean they have their own style, right? You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, and that's—I mean—that's a huge thing. You can—that's the other part of my teaching method is that very thing. I teach on a individual basis and I, I said I tell people there's thousands we know just from all these shows there's thousands of people who can sing everybody can sing almost everybody can sing mm-hmm. but who can touch you emotionally who makes you feel what is the message and where is the intent I mean where where do you live and that's you know that's how I approach singing and music is that it's in my heart and soul. It's not in the perfection or in the pitch or in, you know, my ability to hit a high note. That's great. That's a great way to look at it. I think so. I think, you know, I think it's important for, for everyone. And that's what, you know, it's what's, you're right, what's what makes you an individual. Mm-hmm. Because really, you're working at your craft. You know, this is not, you didn't just take a couple classes and that was it. You're constantly working your craft, and that's what we should all be doing, whatever it is, whether it's guitar, uh, you know, for me, it's, sometimes it's voiceover. You just, you're always, you always have to be working it and developing and growing and learning, and a lot of things evolve and change, you know, and you have to be willing to learn new things all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I know people beat themselves up all the time, like, oh, I want to sound like that person, and 
I didn't hit that note like that person. And... Well, yeah, it's, it's um, I remember years ago, uh, I, and again, it came out of a little bit of that experience of someone telling me about pitch. But I would um, sing a song in, an, in front of an audience, and if I hit one bad note, I would think about that bad note for weeks. Of course you did. <laughs> I would just be like, oh my God, I can't believe I sang you that. You sound oh. like me. <laughs> Right? Yeah. But now I've learned, and, you know, everything that we do, all our, our um, idiosyncrasies and our, everything we do in life, they're, they're learned and they can be changed and learned in another way. Mm-hmm. And so it's just practice. We have to practice to change the way we think, just, uh, just like we have to practice a guitar. So I started to go be in, in that moment and then hear the note and go, Oh, well. That's good. The oh, well. Oh, well. There it goes. We should all do the oh, well. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> there, there ain't no getting it back. Right. You know, it's, it's a moment in time, and the possibilities of anyone hearing it or noticing it, because once you're true and free of who you are and your beliefs and your, you know, whatever it is you do in life, I believe we, on an on a unconscious level, we feel truth. Mm-hmm. We can feel it. And so when it's truth, it comes through and no one goes, oh, it was a great, great performance, but too bad about that one that note. one <laughs> note. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to notice. Right. No. We, we're, we're our own worst critics to the max. I know I am, you know. Yeah. And the, the only way people notice this is if you react to it. You know, there are those people who make the faces and, you know, like, oh, God. Right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We're going to take a short break, Arlene, and then we'll come back. And I want to talk about your own personal funk and how you dealt with it because it's very inspiring. Cool. All right, so hang tight. All righty, thanks. You're listening to Get the Funk Out, and I'm your host, Janine. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy, Piracy, and Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm also pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And I'm thrilled today because we are interviewing Lieutenant Tom Slayton, who is the new Orange County Sheriff's Harbor Master. He's been with the department for 25 years, and we've had him on when he's been in other positions. And he is truly wonderful. Thank you, Tom, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, tell us, what are some of the things to do in preparation for boating season? Here we are. It's June now. So what should boaters and people who don't own boats but go out and rental boats, what should they be doing to, um, you know, to to stay safe or prepare to stay safe? Well, first and foremost, you want to do your homework and you want to know how to to operate a boat. Um, Second, just barely second to that, would be to make sure that your equipment is functioning properly. Um, You need to make sure you have life jackets for everybody on board and you you need to make sure that they fit. You also, if it's the first time you're taking the boat out uh, for the season, have it checked out by, by a, a mechanic that you trust. Um, because a, an engine that goes bad by the side of the road, you just call a tow truck engine that fails on the ocean, and, and that's a lot more problematic. Additionally, if you, if you blow a hose or a, uh, have a bad through-hole fitting, um, you're not going to know about it until you're out on the ocean and then you're taking on water, which is a very scary situation. So check your equipment. Make sure you got all the safety uh, safety devices you need and, and be ready for anything. Yeah, especially a fire extinguisher. 
yep. fire on a boat is real scary. <laughs> I know. So anyway, so once you've prepared and, and now you're out there, whether you're, you know, uh, a boater or you've rented a sailboat or a paddle boat or whatever, now how do you stay safe once you're out there? Well, the, uh, um, one of the most important things is once you have the equipment, um, make sure you use it. Um, anybody who's, who's 13 years of age or under on a vessel that is 26 feet long or less has to have a life jacket on at all times. Um, I do recommend that everybody wear them at all times. However, uh, we had a drowning just this last weekend. Um, it was an adult, and uh, um, it's really important you have these on because when you need it, it's rarely going to be in a circumstance where you can get at it quickly and put it on. Yes, yes. Um, also, uh, understand that, uh, especially for the sailboaters out there, there's no such thing as a boat having the right-of-way. Um, any vessel that has the ability to avoid a collision and doesn't take action is going to be partially at fault for that collision, regardless if they're in a sailboat or a powerboat. There's a very complex set of rules that goes with it, but understand that uh, just because you think you have the right-of-way and, and somebody else is going to move, you need to be willing to take action um, as well at all times. Even if you're in a little sailboat and you see this, like, 80-foot boat coming toward you, they can't, they can't even turn as quickly as you can, so get out of the way, right? That's right. Uh, <laughs> the more a vessel is restricted in its ability to maneuver, the more right-of-way it has. The only vessel with complete right-of-way is an unmanned vessel. However, so uh, unless your boat's drifting by itself, that's not going to apply to you. So, so be prepared to take action and, and avoid those collisions before they happen because that's generally when you need the life jackets, and it's best not to get to that point. So why don't you give us the website, and we'll have you back again. Okay. Um, uh, www.ocsd.org, and uh, you can uh, click on that, follow the links to uh, Marine Operations Bureau, Harbor Patrol, and uh, give you more information there. Pam Slayton, you're wonderful. Thank you. We'll have you back again. Thank you for having me. Thanks. You're listening to KCI 88.9 FM. Irvine. 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 Friend us on Facebook at KCI KUCI. Talk, music, and more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. We're back with Arlene Cole. Hey, Arlene. Hi. So you've shared with me, and I'd love you to share with the listeners, uh, you had your own share of funks, one in particular, and what you have to say about it is very inspiring to people because... Uh, it was a tremendous experience for you, and I was wondering if you could share a little bit about it. I sure will. Well, you know, I, 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 like I said, I started my solo career very late. You know, 48 was when my first CD came out. So I had this uh, vision in my head that at 50, that you know, that's when my life was going to change, and it was going to be a little more selfish, and I was going to be able to do all these wonderful things, and it's the second half of my life, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And at 50... I ended up in the hospital. I, um, out of the blue, um, I had been experiencing some weird numbness and having issues for a couple of months. And I'd gone to chiropractors and tried to figure out what was going on. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. And then one night I, I was sitting with my daughter and my husband watching television and I got up and I felt really weird. And I went out, I said, I, I feel funny. And I, I, I walked to get some fresh air and my husband's with me and I said, call 911. And I 
lost consciousness. Oh my gosh! I just it took it was the weirdest thing. So I get taken to the hospital by ambulance, and you know I go back two or three times in in within a twenty four hour period, and they finally you know put me in the hospital, and I get all the tests, and they do the MRI, and they find I have a bulging C five disc, and that, and by the way, for those that don't know, that's in your neck. Yes. Yes. So in my neck, my spine, um, and I you know I was in pain, and sorry, and the reason why I did pass out from it was pain. I'd been in pain for you know, weeks, and um, it's the opposite of fight or flight. When you're in that much pain, your body shuts down. Yes. So that's what happened. I was in so much pain that my, my body just wanted to be asleep. <laughs> so, so bizarre. <sighs> but um, so what happens after that, they find you, and then, you know, they find what's wrong, and then they bring the surgeon in, and the surgeon says, you have to have surgery now. You have to have that disc replaced, we're going to put a cadaver disc in there, and we're going to um, put uh, a... Well, type. sorry, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> right? And, and then we're going to put a... That was a good ugh. Yeah, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to put a titanium plate in your neck, and we're going to fuse your spine. And if you don't do it, you will be paralyzed. There's a good chance if you get in a car accident or something, you'll be paralyzed for the rest of your life. And, you know, I got all these, you know, descriptions of, you know, what my life was going to be like. And you're horrified lying here in pain. Oh, yeah. 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 So, um, and initially, you know, you, you believe everybody. You mm-hmm. believe what they're telling you. They're doctors. So you, they're, they're the experts. And right. I went to a neurosurgeon, and they did all kinds of tests, and they said, yeah, you should get the surgery. Yeah, you should. And so um, I went home and tried to make a decision about it. And it probably took me maybe a a week or so. And I thought to myself, well, if I get the surgery, and they'll they'll do it the next day. Wow. It's that quick. They're just like, poof, I'm going to do it. But excuse me, good for you for putting things in perspective and taking a week you know, because that had to be an agonizing week, but you took the time. Yeah, I did. I, I, I thought, you know, what I thought about was, I'm going to give this a year to heal. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't better in a year, I'll consider the surgery. But if I get the surgery, I can't turn back. That's right. And what I've learned, at, at, sorry, I'll stand the right track here. Sorry. Right. <laughs> but um, then I proceeded to spend the next four months in bed because I was literally, I was terrified to move. I thought if I moved, I, you know, I I would, something would go wrong. And, um, but then I, I started reading things and there's a doctor, his name's John Sarno and he talks about, um, the spine and, uh, he has, um, I made sure that I wrote them down. It's called healing back pain, Mm -hmm. the mind body prescription and the divided mind. And, you know, he talks about uh, his thing is, you know, we have this epidemic of back problems and back pain, and that he thinks most of it is unrecognized, you know, uh, tension, anger, life, you know, things that need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And so I started listening to him, and then I got into a woman called Candace Hurt. She's a PhD, and she talks about your body and your subconscious mind and, you know, how... Um, there are signals of what's change that you need to make in your life. Sure. And same with Donnie Epstein, who is a really interesting speaker, and uh, he talks about restoration healing. And so 
that illness and disease we look at, we should be looking at as, um, you know, something, uh, something about your life. It's uh, not, right. it's, it's there to make you stop, yes. pay attention, and probably you need to do something different in your life. And, you know, I realized through that whole process and, you know, just listening and studying and thinking about my life. And part of my personality was to never go there. I didn't believe in, oh, something to do with my childhood and if I, my mother and father. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, my, part of my philosophy in life was, you know, this is it. You know, this is what you were dealt and away you go and no going back and don't blame people. And, you know, it's silly if my, if only I'd had this or my mom said this or, and so I would ignore those things. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I should look a little deeper here about, you know, the things in my life that have affected me. Mm-hmm. And so I just started to take, um, you know, closer look at things and, and also my belief in the body's ability to heal. And the problem that I believe we have today uh, is that we're not willing to go through the healing process. Healing takes time. So we want a quick fix. We yes. want the drugs. We want something that's going to get us back on track and back on our lives, in fast. our lives. Right, fast. Right away. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there are, you know, we have work and there's, you know, we have to survive. And, you know, not everybody can just Oh, take a month off, but I think there is ways to, you know, heal in, and still, you know, carry on in your life. Right. But I think our level of uh, our need to be so successful and um, achieve and acquire, and that sort of pressure builds up in our in our spine. I believe it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one to think that you have to look at your environment, what's affecting you internally, the people around you, if they're toxic or maybe things have happened to you. But what's interesting is that you really took the time to dig deep, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, and I took the time to let go. Mm -hmm. I realized I'm type A. You know, I've been chasing something for a long time here, this idea of um, success. You know, I, I touched on it earlier about my childhood. I think that my connection has been that this need to be accepted, that somehow I was special or something. That Because, you know, I grew up ignored. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a lot of attention as a kid with my mom and dad, you right. know, at, at home. Sure. And my brother and sister, too. I mean, they were older and they were off and living their own lives. And so um, I think that, you know, there's been this, you know, this, acceptance thing, like, please love me, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm always the loudest in the room, and I'm, you know, <laughs> there's, like, my life is filled with it, you know. You're so funny. <laughs> and, uh, but now I accept, you know, there's things about my personality that I just, that's, that is who I am, and I, I've accepted that. I, I, I like who I am now. That's good. And, uh, yeah, and I'm okay, you know, I, I, uh, well, I had I had a great te- my my teacher. I think I don't know if I told you this, but my laugh is I have a very loud laugh, and it's probably it'll be the constant through my entire life. And everybody who know, knows me and talks about me and they'll say my laugh. You know, my neighbor, who's you know way across the street and on the corner, can hear me laughing. And she said, when I'm in my backyard and I hear you laughing, Arlene, it's just the greatest thing. I Aww, love it. I love it. Yeah, it's nice. 
but I, I used to get in trouble all the time as a kid because I was, I had such a loud laugh and I laughed a lot and, and I was a class clown and I was in college with my voice teacher and I laughed my laugh and I apologized to the whole room right away. Aww. I would immediately apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Right. And my teacher said to me, don't you ever apologize for who you are and for, for your voice. And, you know, I've had these issues. This, I also have thyroid disease. I have um, Hashimoto's thyroid disease, which okay. is in my throat. Okay. C5 is right by my vocal cords. My, everything that's happened to me illness-wise has been all connected with my voice. Whoa. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. So it's very, it's very telling. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, wow, I have two things yeah. right in my voice right in my vocal cords, and I thought, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to learn how to, to say what I need to say more, because I think as women, it's another, you know, downside of being a woman is, you know, we're, we're the fixers, we're the healers, we're the, we're going to take care, oh, I don't want to rock the boat and make sure everybody's happy, mm-hmm. you get the right things in your life, you know, your husband, your children, your, and, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't express, we don't speak up what it is that we really want or need. That's true. That's so true. And so that's, you know, I've, this has been the whole process, and, I've, and now the end of this is it's been two years, and I'm fine. I'm healed. The Whoa. body knows how to heal itself. And, um, I mean, I have, you know, I'll have my little things, and I, I have some, I have a, uh, in my neck, I'll, I have a, it's called a Pronex. For those of you out there who have neck problems, it's called a Pronex, and it's just a little... Um, they call it when you know it stretches the neck. Okay. Like traction. Okay. So you wear something. You you lay down on bed in, on the bed and you put your head in it and you pump it up and it just pulls your neck. Oh. So you know I do that still every once in a while. I just kind of if I feel a little weird crunching or something in my neck, but mm-hmm. but that all the numbness, all the symptoms, everything is gone. The body is continually changing. It is forever in change. And uh, one of the things Candace. Hurt says, which I love, she says that, you know, the medical community treats the human body like it's a big hunk of meat, right? That it's just, yes. like it just sits there. If you, you have a human body and you give it, it's not feeling well, you give it antibiotics, it will get better. If you have a big hunk of meat um, and you, it's dying, it's dead. What am I saying? And you give it antibiotics, it's not going to do anything. It's dead. It's just a, it's a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. And so she talks about that moment, that picture, like if you go into the doctor and you get your blood pressure and your blood pressure is high, well, go back the next day and you'll have a completely different reading. Or, And they take a picture of who you are and what your problems are from that moment in time when your body is forever changing and we don't know what we've been right. in contact with or, you know, the... The times in our lives when we have days when we feel good, we have days when we don't. That's right. And so allowing the, the body that chance to heal and regenerate is, it's real. It's a real thing. I, be, I believe it more, of course, now I've experienced it. So, you know, I know the body knows how to heal. So it sounds like your belief in that and your time being mindful really helped you get out of the funk. Yes, Absolutely. And it's, again, training your mind to trust and st- 
stop, you know, it's stop, look, and listen. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, all, it's very simplistic in, its, in what it is. Right. Stop, look, and listen. And a lot of times, you know, um, I know Donnie Epstein, who he talks about that we live in seasons. And I love this, this thought. Seasons of discovery where, you know, that's when we're usually going through bad times. Mm-hmm. We do, like we're looking around. Things aren't going right. We're trying to figure out what's going on. And, and um, then there's the seasons of transform, you know, where you have no problems. Everything's pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you have seasons of awakening where it's, you know, it's not about what you're doing, but it's about being. It's more of a spiritual level. But we all have different times like that in our lives where we're at different places. Even within a week, it, you know, we have times where, you know, where we're just content and then we're not. And right. so it's always accepting the changes, the seasons of, your, of who you are as a person, rather than this constant, always like Candace Part says, if you go into a doctor and they say, and this is scientific, Okay. She says, if you go in and you get, if your heart rate is constant all the time, you know, they do, they do a picture of your heart maybe mm-hmm. over a week and it never changes. She said, you're on your way to dying. That's the sign of, a, of death. The heart needs to be chaotic. It needs to be stimulated. It needs to be stimulated. Yeah. That's what tells us we're alive. Mm-hmm. And so... Instead of always looking for, I, I think that's what we do. Like, once I have a nice house, once I have this, once I'm married, once, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, rather than that living in the moment and being and going through the changes, the seasons of our lives, which is, oh boy, that sounds, <laughs> that sounds corny. <laughs> oh, the There's that great laugh. I got that laugh out of you. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, um, but it's but it's true. It's just going. You know what? Today is not a good day. Right. Today is a great day, and accepting that, and living through those moments, and right. rather than fighting everything all the time, I think we fight so hard, and we got to be, you know, these overachievers. And I should say, I felt it, anyways. No, I agree. I think. I think people feel like everything has to be perfect all the time, and and if you're in a bad mood, you got to fix it fast. And you know what? I think you just got to go with it. And and life is a roller coaster ride, and you know you just have to be mindful and learn how to deal with it. You know, and try to figure out all the pieces of the puzzle that are affecting you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, I um, I also um, I react pretty um, intensely to uh, lack of food. <laughs> I, if I don't have oh, yes. my meals, if I don't eat at the right time, yeah. I can either I shut down and become, you know, just lethargic or I get a little angry. I'm the same way. That's why I'm laughing. I'm the yeah. same way. So, so, yeah. so we're in, we're going to Vegas and we're running around and checking in hotels and getting the kids and doing stuff. And I hadn't eaten. And, you know, I started snapping at my husband and, and, and the, my, the two... I had the, my grandson and my little step-granddaughter in the back seat, and they were in the car with us, and my husband and I were just kind of nattering a little. I was nattering, I should say. I was snapping at him. I was wondering about nattering. Okay, snapping. Okay. Yeah, nattering. Okay. Is that a new word for you? Yeah, I, I taught you a new word, and uh, you taught me one, nattering. <laughs> <laughs> Spilkies for you and nattering for me. Okay, yes. we have to wrap up in just a minute. Go ahead. Yeah, but, um, you know, I apologized to everybody. I said, you know, I'm sorry, Gram- Grandma, Grandma needs food. 
and it's recognizing yeah. that moment. Like I don't, you know, I, I apologize to everybody, but it's a real thing. Oh yeah, you know, I'm not going to hide that. I, I can't. It just right. doesn't work that way. Sure. <laughs> No, I get the same way. I remember being out with my husband on a date years ago. Uh, we were just going someplace, and we couldn't find a place. And he's like, why don't we go ask somebody? And I'm like, no, we need to find food now. <laughs> I've done that. Oh, boy. <laughs> now. You need to just go. Or I deck you. <laughs> uh, so listen, we're going to wrap up with a, a song from your CD uh, that I have, Odds and Ends. And uh, any specific track you'd love me to share with anybody? It holds some special meaning. I mean, they're all great. I think we did Time's Up last time, right? Yes. So I think uh, Power of Love is um, a song that I wrote with my husband about. um, It's sort of that, uh, it's religious-based in that, you know, people think that their their religion, you know, everybody thinks that their way is the right way. Mm -hmm. But there are those people who we, we know out there that, are really hardcore, you know, where yes. the far right or the far left, whatever, whichever way you like to look at it, and um, which becomes it becomes a, a, a where you're just really criticizing and close-minded about everybody else around you, and um, and so well, that's, good. that's it's called Power of Love. All right, and where can people find out more information about you? Um, I'm on the World Wide Web, which is not a cool way to say that, in case you're, not, in case you're wondering. <laughs> It's not? The okay. www.arlenecolemusic.com. Okay. And, uh, you know, you just that's the, big, the easiest way. Beautiful. Uh, just go on. Of course, find me on Facebook. You know, I, I'll, I'm open to friends. And, okay. Um, don't really do the MySpace thing anymore. But yeah. um, Well, good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great talking with you, and I appreciate you joining us on this Monday morning. Oh, well, thank you, and I, I, I hope I, uh, I got the message out for you. The, I got the funk out. You did. <laughs> and thank you so much for having me on, Janine. You're, right. you're, you're a light, and uh, I really you. appreciate uh, you paying attention to me. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Arlene. All right, you be well. <laughs> okay, thank you. And keep you. laughing. I love it. Okay. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out. We're going to wrap up with a song from Arlene's latest CD, and uh, this is Power of Love. Have a great Monday, everybody. Uh, next week, I have special guest, author Dan Zevin. Have a great one, everyone. Ain't it funny how it goes? People come, people go. But you, you walk. 